All right, let's look at uh, Genesis 15, 16, and 17. So here's what we're going to look at. In Genesis 15, we're going to look at the promise of God through justification by faith. In Genesis 16, we're going to look at the plan of man through the works of the flesh. And in Genesis 17, we're going to look at the covenant of God through the death of the flesh. So let's begin in in Genesis 15. Let me read to you. I'm going to read to you verses 1 and verses 5 and 6. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And then in verse 5, it says, Then he, that is God, brought Abram outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Abram believed in the Lord, and because Abram believed in the Lord, God accounted to Abram righteousness. All right, let's go to uh, chapter 16, and let's read one verse, verse 2. Genesis 16, verse 2. So Sarah came to Abram. See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Now let's go to chapter 17. Don't worry, we're going to come back and talk about these. Chapter 17, verses 4 through 7. Let's read those. Genesis 17, verses 4 through 7. As for me, this is the Lord speaking to Abram, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. And I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now we're going to also read verse 11. And you shall, God is telling Abraham, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. In verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 18. And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, I know I skipped around a lot there, and it's kind of piecemeal, but, and that's why I'm going to trust that you go back and you read these three chapters, and as we talk about them today, you'll kind of, um, you'll, you'll see this in its full context, but also as we talk about this, we're, you're going you're gonna to catch what's happening here uh, as we talk about the promise of God through justification by faith, the plan of man through the works of the flesh, and the covenant of God 
through the death of the flesh. So here in Genesis 15, as Abram has come back from the slaughter of the kings and he's worshipped the Lord with Melchizedek, the priest of God, it says that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. This is something that we talked about with Cindy yesterday. Here's a woman who's dying of cancer, who's literally fighting for her life. And what God wants her to understand, and what God wants us to understand, is what he promised Abraham is the same thing that he promises us. When he said to Abram, Abram, do not be afraid. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. That word to Abram is a word to us today. And if you don't get anything else from my message today, I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Do not be afraid. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Don't be moved by the things you see in this world. Don't be moved by the things that are taking place in your life. Believe the Word of God. Believe the promise of God. Do not be afraid. God is your shield. He is your exceedingly great reward. You can take that to the bank and be guaranteed that is the truth. That is eternal truth, everlasting truth. And so this is what God tells to Abram. And then Abram says, but Lord, what will you give me seeing that I'm childless? He says, I don't even have a child. Don't be afraid. You're my shield. You're my exceedingly great reward. What happens when I die? I have no one to carry on the legacy, no one to carry on my name. I'm childless. And God says to Abram, it says, He brought Abram outside and says, Now look toward the heaven and count the stars and see if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord. And God accounted it to Abraham as righteousness. That, that is literally an accounting term. He accounted it to him as righteousness. It's the same understanding as if you are an accountant and you're looking at a, an account that has a zero balance or worse. And there is... You have no account that you can move money from and into that account. You are, in other words, absolutely broke, penniless, bankrupt. There is no way to reconcile your account. It is in the negative. And God comes along and he says, it's okay. I will account to you. I will, in other words, deposit in your account what you need that you lack. We need righteousness. God demands it. But we lack it. So what is God's solution? God says, I will give you my righteousness because you have none of your own. That is what God did for Abraham when it says he accounted it to him as righteousness. God made a deposit of his very own righteousness into Abram. And when we trust in Christ, this is exactly what God does. God doesn't, doesn't save us because we have enough righteousness in our account. 
We are bankrupt. We have no hope of ever having any righteousness. But God in His grace deposits into our account His very own righteousness in Jesus Christ. So the promise of God is through justification by faith. Let's turn over to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4. So to understand what we just read, that, it, that God accounted it to him as righteousness, let's let the Bible be our commentary that teaches us what, what just happened. So Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 4, verse 1, let's read together. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? Question mark. What has Abraham found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes or trusts on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Verse 13, chapter 4 here in Romans. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's good news, church. Your righteousness is not in your ability to keep the law. Your righteousness is because you trust Jesus and you recognize you have none of your own. Let's read another scripture. Let's go over to the book of Galatians. Hold your place in Genesis. And let's go to Galatians chapter 3. And Paul has further commentary on what has happened to Abraham here. Galatians chapter 3. Let's begin in verse 6. Galatians 3 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham. Remember, you always hear me say the gospel doesn't begin at Matthew 1.1. The gospel was preached to Abraham. The Old Testament's not an irrelevant section of the Bible that doesn't apply anymore because it's old. It absolutely applies because the gospel is preached right there from the beginning of our Old Testament. And it was preached to Abraham. And we find the gospel preached throughout every page of the Old Testament. The gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham for as many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. 
For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promises of no effect. For the inheritance is of the I'm sorry, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. I want to draw your attention to verse 17. Paul writing centuries after, I mean, thousands of years. Paul is writing almost 2,000 years after Abraham when he writes this epistle. And look what he says. In this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, that's after Abraham, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. How did God, how did God confirm the covenant with Abraham? Paul says he confirmed it in Christ. Where was Christ? We think Christ shows up in, in Matthew, right? Because there's the story of the little baby Jesus in the manger with the Virgin Mary. Now listen, Christ was there when the covenant was, in, was confirmed with Abraham. How do we know that? Because that's what the Bible tells us. Paul says the covenant was confirmed by God in Christ. This is the covenant, an eternal covenant that God established with Abraham. 430 years before the law came, and the law didn't annul that covenant. The law reinforced and reaffirmed that covenant and showed us more than ever the need that God would impute to us His righteousness because the law revealed that we had no ability in and of ourselves to keep the righteous law, the perfect and holy law of God. So justification... What does that word mean? It, it is the removal of our sin while at the same time we are declared righteous before God. This is not accomplished in our work, but only in the finished work of Christ. This is the power of the gospel to everyone who believes, to all who are in Christ. Paul writes this in Romans 1, 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We are justified by faith, and by faith we enter into the promise. Christ is the seed of Abraham to whom the promises were made. He told us that. We read that in Galatians 3.16. He is the seed. We're not the seeds. He is the seed and in that seed, in that one seed who is Christ, are all the promises of God. 
And that's why the promises are not ours outside of Christ. God's promises are realized only in Christ. By God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we become Abraham's seed. This is what Galatians 3.29 says, that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In Christ, we become partakers of all that the Father has given to Jesus Christ, the Son. In our Wednesday night study of John, the Gospel of John, as we read through the high priestly prayer of Jesus, the entire chapter of John 17, this is exactly what we see in the prayer of Jesus before He goes to the cross, that all that the Father had given to Him would be ours in Him. God has not withheld anything from us. And you might have situations and circumstances in your life, and you might feel as though God has withheld something from you. I promise you, He has not. And we're going to see in just a moment that you're, if you feel that way, if you've ever felt that way, don't worry, you're not the first person who's ever felt that way. As a matter of fact, the Bible is full of people who, who felt that way. We're talking about one of them right here, and we're going to see that in just a moment. So we understand then that, let me read to you Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10. Many of you know this verse. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Your salvation is the gift of God. You don't earn a gift. You didn't earn your salvation. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus, for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Man, that is jam-packed. I want, I want you to pay close attention. I want to read that one more time. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when we read this verse, we understand that we are not saved by works. We are saved to works, not the works of the flesh, but the works of the spirit that are made manifest in and through the life we now have in Christ. To do what? To give witness to Christ who is our life and who is our hope of glory. Your hope of glory is not in your ability. It is in who Christ is and what He has already done. So like Abraham, by faith, our justification is complete in Christ. And in Christ, all of God's promises are safe and secure for us to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes, For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Now let's go over to Genesis 16. So we talked about the promise of God is through justification by faith. Here in Genesis 16, we read one verse. It was verse 2. Now remember, I asked, have you ever felt as though God hasn't come through for you? 
that somehow God is withholding from you. You're, you're lacking something. God, for some reason, won't give me what I want. God, for some reason, won't give me what He's promised me. Well, this is exactly what was happening with, with Abraham and with Sarah. And so in chapter 16, let's just read the, the first two verses. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Can you think of another, another account in the Bible where a man heeded the voice of his wife and got into trouble? <laughs> go back to the garden. Notice who the serpent comes to. The serpent didn't go to Adam. The serpent went to Eve. He's the lawless one. He didn't go to the head. He, he bypassed the head and goes to the woman, convinces the woman eating that fruit is a really good thing, a really good idea. It'll, it, it's beautiful. It looks like it tastes good, and it will make you wise. And besides that, God just doesn't want you to have it because he's withholding from you because he doesn't want you to have what he has. God's restraining from giving you something. But if you eat this fruit, you can have it. And this is exactly what we see. So the plan of man always comes through the works of the flesh. And we have to distinguish between the plan of man and the plan of God. God's got a plan. But unfortunately, man usually has a plan too. And the difference is man's plan is always brought about or tried to bring about through the work of the flesh. So the plan of sinful man seeks to gain through the works of the flesh what can only be attained through the work of the Spirit. Man in his sinfulness seeks to gain for himself that which can only be gained by God. Abram heeded the voice of his wife the same way Adam heeded the voice of his. Eve gave Adam forbidden fruit to gain what they thought God had restrained to give them while Sarah gave Abram her maidservant to bear him a child to gain what they thought God had restrained from giving them. So Abram and Sarah, like Adam and Eve, gave in to the lust of the flesh in doubt and unbelief in an attempt to gain through the arm of the flesh what God had already promised through the power of the Spirit. Now, what's the difference between the arm of the flesh and the power of the Spirit? Well, it's pretty obvious. If it's that obvious, why are we so, why is it so easy for us to be moved by the arm of the flesh? Why is it so easy for us to, to get our own plan and do our own thing to help God out? It's because we are much more attuned to our flesh than we are the Spirit. Because our minds are still carnal. They're being renewed. They're being transformed. They're being made new, made spiritual. We have the mind of Christ, but we don't always operate from the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ, but oftentimes we operate from the mind of our carnal nature. And this is exactly what Abram and Sarah were doing. Hey, God hasn't given us a child yet. Didn't God promise us children? 
but, but it hasn't happened yet. I know, let's, maybe God wants to do it this way. Have you ever had that thought? Have, have you ever prayed about something, wanted something, it hasn't come to you, and have you ever thought, well, maybe God wants to do it this way. Let's try this. I mean, we all have to some degree or another, right? And this is the important thing that we need to realize is that God has made promise to, promises to us in Christ. And those promises don't come according to the flesh. They don't come by the flesh. They come by the power of the Spirit. And they're not based on what we're able to see and what we're able to understand with our natural minds. They're not based on what we can see and feel and touch and grasp and hold. And They're not based on those things. They're based on things of the Spirit. That doesn't mean they're not real. The things of the Spirit are very real. They're just not of the flesh. They're, they're, they're not of this temporal nature. But we live in this flesh and this temporal nature, and we're very easily moved by that. And so in Galatians 4.22, let's go back to Galatians. Paul gives us a lot of really good commentary on this, this uh, story of Abraham in the book of Galatians. And so remember, here's Abram's plan. He goes and he sleeps with Hagar, and sure enough, he uh, impregnates Hagar. She conceives a child, and that child's name is Ishmael. And we're not going to spend a lot of time. That's a fascinating story. We're actually going to spend a lot more time on that as we move a little farther into Genesis. And I'm very tempted to talk to you at length about that, but I really don't have time to do that, so I'm going to really try hard to resist the temptation today and just read this scripture to you that will help you. Galatians chapter 4, let's begin in verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. That's Hagar and Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic? Now, I want you to catch that. You should mark that in your Bible. Which things are symbolic? What, what does that tell us? Paul is saying, listen, when God created Abraham, when God brought Abraham from the land of, of Ur of the Chaldees all the way to Canaan, and when God caused Abraham and Sarah to get Hagar as their maidservant, and when God allowed Abraham to carry out his plan in the flesh and impregnate Hagar and bring forth Ishmael, a work of the flesh, God did all of that. Do you understand what I'm saying? God did all of that because God was teaching us something. Paul says these are symbolic. God did that to teach us because Hagar really represents something and Sarah really represents something and Ishmael really represents something, and Isaac really represents something. So he says, which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, 
You who do not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Listen to this closely. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. There is so much I would love to talk about right now, about this scripture, but I'm, I can't. But here's what you need to know. Hagar and Ishmael represent the work in bondage of the flesh that must be cast out, that must be put away. God's plan does not come according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And those born according to the Spirit can expect persecution from those born according to the flesh. That's what Paul says in, in verse 29 of Galatians 4. This is the tribulation in the world Jesus promised His disciples in John 16, 33. We who are now born according to the Spirit can rejoice in all things because Christ has overcome the world and the plan and the promise of God cannot be stopped by the work of man's flesh. There are people who are practically losing their minds with fear today in the world because they think ISIS is going to take over. Or they're going to come to America and take over America. I don't know if that will happen. But here's what I do know. The plan and the purpose of God is absolutely unstoppable. They could cut all of our heads off here today and it would not even slow down or the purpose of God. Now the question is, do you believe that? Now I tell you, there are martyrs spilling their blood every day in the Middle East who believe that promise. Who say, cut my head off if you want, but you will not stop the gospel of Christ. Because they know. The gospel of Christ is not dependent upon our ability. It's not dependent upon our strength. It's not dependent upon the arm of our flesh. It is the promise of God in the Spirit, and God cannot and will not fail. What does that mean? What do we do? I'll tell you what it means, and I'll tell you what we do. It means that we should have absolute faith in this promise, in this covenant, in this word. And what we should do is without hesitation and without fear live and preach the gospel every moment, every day of our life. And trust that through the preaching and the living and the manifestation of God's gospel, God is changing the world. Abraham and Sarah said, it doesn't look like God's going to keep His promise because He said we were going to have children. And look, here we are years later and we still don't have kids. 
So they took it upon themselves to come up with a plan. And it didn't work out. God allowed even that plan to come about to prove, not only to them, but to prove to us and to teach us something, that the plans of man and the works of the flesh will always fail. But God's promise and God's plan is sure and cannot fail. All that God has promised us in Christ is more real and more solid than anything of this natural world. Do not think that because those things God has given to us in Christ are in the Spirit, that they are not real. They're not only real, but they are solid and tangible. And most importantly, they are eternal. They can't be killed. They can't be stamped out. They can't be erased. They can't be undone. They were spoken. They were thought. They were in the heart of God, in the plan of God in eternity, before there was a sun, a moon, and the stars, before there was time and space, before we started ticking off seconds and minutes and hours and days and months and centuries and millennium. They were in the heart of God. It was God's plan and purpose in eternity. And it will come to pass. And it has come to pass in Jesus Christ. It's not just that it will come to pass. You need to know that it has come to pass in Jesus Christ. The reason it will come to pass is because it has already come to pass. Because it's already finished, accomplished in Jesus. We are just seeing it unfold before our very eyes. And sometimes the unfolding of God's plan looks kind of messy. Sometimes it looks kind of unorganized. Sometimes we can't make any sense of it. That's why the Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. Who would have ever thought that when the disciples of Jesus watched their friend, their brother, their Messiah beat to a bloody pulp and hung on a cross, that they would thought this would be the, this is the victory of all, not only of all human history, this is the victory that was bought in eternity. That this seemingly bleak and dark and tragic disaster that has befallen the Messiah, how can God bring victory out of that? It didn't make sense to them. There was nothing about that scene that looked like victory. There was nothing about that scene that seemed to indicate it was all going to be okay. Everything about that scene communicated death, defeat, destruction, Utter darkness, even the sun was darkened. It, it literally became dark. Yet Jesus warned them. He foretold them, it's going to be okay. Rejoice, I've overcome the world. He didn't say that after his resurrection. He said that before his death on the cross. You will have tribulation, but rejoice, I've overcome the world. Do you think when his disciples saw Jesus hanging there as a bloody pulp on that on that tree, stretched out there, heaving to get every breath that he could. And when they saw him give up his spirit and say, it is finished, and breathe his last, do you think they were thinking, praise God, let's rejoice, Jesus has overcome the world. I promise you, it did not look like Jesus had overcome anything. And so, when you are tempted 
in your life and in your circumstances to think that the world has overcome you, that your circumstances have overcome you, that somehow things are now out of control. Our nation's lost control. The world's out of control. Who's going to save us? Listen, he's already saved us. He's already overcome the world. He's already made sure our victory, it is safe, it is secure in Jesus. Yeah, but, no, stop the yeah, buts. Yeah, but they cut that guy's head off. Yeah, but, you know, um, uh, no, stop that. Stop trusting in what man says and what man does and begin to trust in who God is and what God has already done in Christ. They hung Peter upside down. They chopped Paul's head off. They killed them all except John. And the only reason they didn't kill John, church history tells us, is because they couldn't kill him. That wasn't for lack of trying. They even boiled him in oil. He, they couldn't cook him. And you know what? If God allows, why are we? We're no different than Iraqi Christians or Iranian Christians or Syrian Christians. The only difference is we live in America. And they're not walking down our streets cutting our heads off here. But we're not better than those Christians over there. Why were you born in America instead of Syria or Iraq? How come we're just facing the persecution that hurts our feelings? Oh, that person doesn't like me because I'm a Christian. Well, that person doesn't, doesn't want to come to our church anymore because they don't like the way we preach the gospel. My feelings are hurt. You know, when I'm tempted to feel that way, I think about those guys who are losing their heads over there. What makes us any Are we better? We're not better. You know why we were born in America? By the grace of God. It's only the grace of God any of us are where we are. I don't know about you, but I don't remember a form I got to fill out before my birth that said, where would you like to be born? Anybody, did anyone fill that form out before you were born? It didn't exist, did it? You were born here because God chose you to be born here. Those Iraqi Christians, those Syrian Christians, those Egyptian and Iranian Christians who were losing their lives, they were born there because God chose for them to be born there. And their blood's being spilled because God has chosen to give them a martyr's crown. God's plan and God's purpose can't be stopped by man. It can't be. It won't be. And what God has planned and purposed for your life will not be stopped by you either. It will be accomplished in spite of you and in spite of me. God will have his way in us in spite of our self. That's good news. We think things are real because we can see them with our natural eyes and comprehend them with our natural mind and grasp them with our natural senses. The things that God has promised us are much more great. They're greater than anything of this natural, temporal realm. The things God has promised and provided for us in Christ are of the Spirit and they are for those who by faith trust not in the weakness of the flesh but in the power 
of the Spirit. So the plan of man is through the works of the flesh, but the promise of God is through the justification of faith, and it's through the power of the Spirit. And we come to Genesis chapter 17, and God establishes a covenant with Abraham, and He calls it an eternal covenant. It was the covenant of circumcision. It, it was the cutting away of the flesh. And why would God require that of Abraham? So just like Hagar and Sarah were symbolic, they spoke to us of something. The covenant of circumcision that God established with Abram spoke of something. When God told Abraham that you must cut away the flesh, he was telling us, showing us something that would ultimately be fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ. We're to have no confidence in the flesh or its works, but only in the work of the cross that brought about the death of our flesh and our life in the Spirit. The cross of Christ is the only boast any of us have, for it is the only in the cross that our flesh is put to death, the old man is put away, and in that death the new man is put on in a new creation, not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And this is exactly what Paul is teaching us in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, when he says, We therefore know no man any longer according to the flesh, even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. We know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man be in Christ. He is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, we don't even know Christ any longer according to the flesh. We are known now, not according to the flesh, but according to a new creation. The old has passed away and all things have become new. Verse 18 there in 2 Corinthians 5 begins with this, Now all things are of God. What is significant about that? Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. God is a Spirit, Jesus tells us in John 4, and that means that all things that are now of Him are now of the Spirit. God is sovereign over all. He's over Sovereign over flesh and spirit, natural and supernatural. But those things that are of Him, that are of the Spirit. For God is a Spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And now, the reality for us in Jesus Christ, for all who have been born again of the Spirit, for all who have been crucified with Christ, who have put away the flesh, we are of the Spirit now. This is the good news of the new covenant we have in Christ. It's an everlasting covenant. And God has made provision through Christ to put to death our flesh in the cross so that we may live in Him by the Spirit. Galatians 6, 12 through 18. Again, let's go to Galatians. And let's look at Paul's commentary on this truth that the covenant of God is through the death of the flesh. Galatians 6. Galatians 6. Verse 12. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, 
only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. For God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. So here, in these verses, when Paul declares in verse 17, for instance, that he bears in his body the marks of our Lord Jesus, he was talking about much more than his circumcision or even the scars of his persecution. He was talking about the reality of being crucified with Christ in the Spirit and that death and that death that he died with Christ by faith that is manifest in his walk and in his life and in his conduct. Paul wasn't just talking about physical marks in his flesh. Paul was talking about his life, that his very life bore the marks of Jesus, that his life bore the reality of a crucified life. Does your life bear the reality of a crucified life? So, When we're pressed, when you're pressed, husbands, when you're pressed by your wife, what comes out of you? Anger, impatience, frustration. Wives, when you're pressed by your husband, what comes out of you? Children, when you're pressed by your parents, what comes out of you? Parents, when you're pressed by your children, what comes out of you? When you're driving down the road and someone does something you don't like, what what, What comes out of your mouth? Does your life bear the mark of of the crucifixion, of the cutting away of the flesh? Do you bear the marks of Jesus? Do you bear the marks of a crucified life? Paul knew that having a mind conformed to the flesh was enmity against God. He writes in Romans 8, 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. We're called the seed of Abraham. We're called the Israel of God, which is to say that we are the children of God, not because of anything in our flesh, but because of what God has done in the spirit, the cutting away of the flesh in Genesis 17, 11, the covenant. God says to Abraham, circumcise, cut away the flesh, or... The putting away of the bondwoman and her son revealed to us in in Genesis 21 and Galatians 4.30. Or, here's one we can all relate to, our baptism in water. These are all signs in the natural that speak of a reality in the spiritual that take place only in Christ by the working and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Paul writes in Romans 2, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, 
whose praise is not from men, but from God. The covenant is established inwardly, but witnessed to with outward signs. It's not the outward sign, but the inward work. The outward sign speaks of. The inward work of the Spirit is what must be manifest to confirm the outward sign. A person baptized regardless of age must eventually manifest what that sign of baptism is picturing. That is a crucified life buried with Christ and raised in power. This is bearing the mark of Christ in our body. Does your life bear the mark of the cross? Are you walking a crucified life? To live a crucified life is not a work of the flesh, but a work of the Spirit. The evidence of that will be a life marked by the death of our flesh, which is the death of our carnal and sinful nature. It doesn't mean you're always going to be perfect. But when you fall and when you fail, in your heart, what's your desire? Are you quick to repent? Are you willing to repent? Do you cry out that God would change you, transform you, conform you to the very image of His Son? The sign of the covenant God made with Abraham was circumcision. It spoke of the cutting away of the, and the death of the flesh. The same thing we saw with Noah and the flood. When we come into Christ, our flesh is crucified and put away and we are raised in new life in the Spirit. And, that, and that's where our life is now, in the Spirit. Not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. When we live as covenant people, that's what we are Confessing. When you come to this table, that's what you're confessing when you come to the table. You're confessing to be covenant people. You're confessing your trust in Jesus. Parents, when you bring your children to the table, you're raising them up as covenant members. You're teaching them that their trust is not in their ability to always obey you and to always get it right. But you're teaching them that their Trust must be in Christ to impute to you a righteousness that you can never attain on your own. When the Spirit is working in us, our confession will match the work made manifest by the Spirit in our hearts. In other words, a real transformation by the power of the Spirit will bring about a walk that lines up with our talk. This is not a work that we accomplished in ourselves, but a work the Spirit accomplishes in us in spite of ourselves, we are the vessel through which his life is flowing and being made manifest. In his grace, we are brought to surrender to his work. Paul writes in Colossians that we are complete in him. He is, Christ is the fullness of God's glory, and we are complete in him. That's truth. When you fail, understand you are complete in him. In spite of your failure. In that verse in, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about how in the cross, God disarmed our enemies. 
and triumphed over them and made an open show. It's a picture, it's a picture of a victory parade. In Rome, when the Romans would conquer a nation or a people, they would bring the captives, bring everything back, and they'd have a huge parade right down Main Street, Rome. And they would parade their enemies naked and humiliated and in chains as a show of victory. And this is the, this is the language Paul uses. This is, this is what Paul says God did with Satan and our enemy. He triumphed over him and had a victory parade and shamed him. Does that mean we don't have an enemy still? No, we still have an enemy. God has allowed our enemy. As a matter of fact, Peter says our enemy roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The promise of God to you who trust in Christ is he may not devour you. For those who are outside of Christ, they're open prey for the enemy that's still roaming around. But know this, the gospel cannot be stopped by the enemy. God has defeated the enemy, he has bound the enemy, and will not allow the enemy to stop the gospel in the advance of his kingdom. And only uses the enemy as a tool. We see this all throughout the Old Testament, just like God used Babylon, just like God used Medo-Persia, just like God used Greek, just like God used Rome. God used his enemies to bring about his purposes. He is doing no less today. So the enemy no longer has an accusation against us. This was the, the armament that the enemy had. Therefore, all he was armed with to come against us has been brought to nothing in Christ. The enemy has been disarmed by the cross of Christ and triumphed over it. He cannot bring an accusation against us any longer because of the blood of Jesus. And This is the good news of the death of our flesh, the death of our self, and of our new life in Christ Jesus because our old man that the enemy could accuse no longer exists. He is dead. He is put away. And we are complete in him in every way. You may not see that with your natural eyes and feel that with your natural senses, but we are not called to walk according to the natural. We're not called to walk by what we can see or by what we can feel. We are called to walk by faith. Amen. Let's all stand and let's pray. Father, help us see that Lord, not with our natural eyes. Help us to see with seeing eyes that we are not justified by the works of the flesh, but we are justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. Help us to see that our plans that are rooted in the works of the flesh have already failed before they have begun. For all flesh is as grass and withers away. You have a plan in the Spirit that is eternal and unstoppable. Help us to lay down our plans in the flesh and surrender to your plans in the Spirit. Father, help us to be a people willing to die, not for an earthly cause, but for an eternal truth. Not for a natural, not a natural death, but a death to self. Make us living sacrifices for your glory, we pray. Help us to be a people willing to die to self and eager to find the unspeakable joy of a life crucified with Christ. By your Spirit, destroy our misconceptions and our misunderstandings that we have come to believe. 
reveal Christ in us so that we are consumed in Him and set free for Your glory. We pray this, God, in the name above all names. And we pray this most of all for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. So here's my challenge to you, church, that you would be willing and courageous to let God have His way in your life, to lay down your life today and to invite God to have His way in you, to have the courage to stop walking by sight and begin to walk by faith, to have the courage to allow God to change the way you have come to understand and comprehend certain things, that you would truly pray to God, let your will be done, not my own. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. May His face shine upon you.